0: Welcome to the Media Ministry of Crossroads Church Aspen. To learn more about Crossroads, visit our website at ccaspen.com. Uh, all right. Well, I want to bring up Trinity. Uh, Steve and Michelle are traveling, just getting a little rest and and uh, renewal this uh, this week in the midsummer. But I want to bring up Trinity, my brother, and just pray for him. Man, so glad you're bringing the word today. Uh, let's pray. God, thank you for this brother. Thank you for his faith. Uh, thank you for what you are doing and have done in his heart and just his testimony and. Uh, Lord, the way you you speak to him, the way you lead him, and uh, Lord, the way he follows after you with all of his heart. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the word that he's prepared this morning. We pray, oh God, that you speak to us today, that your hope, uh, Lord, hope in you increases in our heart and and that faith in you increases in our heart by your truth uh, coming forth and being planted there this morning. Uh, Lord, speak to us. Let your Holy Spirit give us counsel, insight, and revelation this morning. Uh, into your truth that we may be uh, truly free, Lord, the way you have designed it to follow you and run after you in your train. Thank you, oh God, for this man. Thank you for this time. Uh, Lord, let your kingdom uh, increase in our hearts. Let your love increase in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Amen. Amen, brother. Thank you. Well, good morning, Crossroads. Good morning. Well, we're talking back already. I like it. Um, It's an honor to, to be up here sharing the word of God with you this morning. Um, and if you've got your Bibles, if, if you turn to Luke chapter 14, that's kind of where we're going to be camped out here. Um, and as you're turning there, I want to share a story. Um, it happened last October, so coming up on a year now. My wife and I and, and my son, we were headed into to service here on a Sunday morning. And as we got here, we were running late as usual. Um, I was preaching today, so I wasn't late, but I'm usually running late, unfortunately. We get here, and all of the parking was taken, except for one spot up front and center, which was super cool, except for the fact that there was a sign that said, for the visitor and the elderly. And I didn't think that I met either of those qualifications. Um, I've been a part of this congregation for, for a little while now, um, And despite my bald head and and the gray hair coming in on my beard, I didn't think I met the qualification of being elderly either. At least I'm not ready to own that one. Um, My son would probably disagree and argue with me there. But um, anyways, I I, I circle the block, hoping that that a a spot would open up. And as we get around, nothing opens up, and so I go to wheel into that spot. And as I do, my, my wife, who's sitting right here, she, she's sitting shotgun, and she looks at me, and she says, I wouldn't park here if I were you. And being the good husband that I am, I totally ignored her, and I pulled into that spot. And as I did, there, there, was, a, there was a group of people over here in the courtyard area. They were just kind of fellowshipping after first service, and they turned and looked at us like we had just landed a spaceship, and so I put it in park and I'm thinking, and then they, then they look at us and, and their faces turn to concern and they start walking toward our vehicle. So I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I'm about to get rebuked and, and this is going to be super embarrassing, um, but it's deserving. I shouldn't be parked here, right? And as I open the car door, I hear what sounds like a geyser going off on the other side of the vehicle. Something, what in the world? So I get out and I, and I walk over and I look down and there was a a damaged curb and a piece of rebar sticking out. And, uh, when I pulled into that spot, it caught the sidewall of my tire and put like a four inch gash in it. And so I'm thinking, I'm thinking, God, why is this happening right now? Sunday morning here with my family. What is this all about? And, uh, about that time, Tracy looks at me and she says, well, glad it wasn't me. (laughs) And, uh, so she, she carries on, and I'm sitting there just internalizing this thing. And, and then I get on, on the smartphone, and I'm like, i gotta, I got to get this thing changed out because the, the car is parked here in front of God and everybody <laughs> until I get this tire changed. And um, so I, I get on the smartphone. I'm, I'm watching all the air blow out of this, and, and, I, and I look at tires, and I realize this is not an ordinary tire. It's like five, $600 for this bad boy. And, and so then I'm like really sick to my stomach. And um, so Tracy, she's, she's out there with me. I finally make my way in, into the church here and Derek's leading worship. And I take a seat right here in the second row and, and I, just, I just submitted it to the Lord. I said, God, if there's a lesson that you want me to learn here, if there's something that you want to teach me, Please don't let me waste this moment. And rather quickly, I heard the the Spirit of God speak to my heart and say, Do not seek for yourself places of honor. It wasn't an audible voice. I've never heard the audible voice of God, but it was as clear as I've ever heard him speak. He said, Do not seek for yourself places of honor. And so I sat there, and, 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 and just as a side note, church, that's why we read the Bible. It's not just because it's, it's a Christian discipline or it's, it's the right thing to do. But as the people of God, that is primarily the way that he's going to speak to us. Amen? And so that we don't just read it as a discipline. We read it, we, we study it, we meditate on it, and we memorize it. It's not the only way he's going to speak. He's spoken to me in different ways, but it's always going to line up with this word. And so, do not seek for yourself places of honor. Later that day, I I, I began to search the scriptures to look for that. Because I knew I had read it somewhere. Um, I didn't remember the context or or where it was at, but I knew that I had read it. And so I began to search the scriptures that day, and I came to this passage. Um, Luke chapter 14, verse 7 through 11. So that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that it is living and it is active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, God. And I thank you for for revealing to me areas of my life, God, that that were not lined up with your kingdom. Ways that I had sought honor. Lord, thank you for for revealing them to me. Thank you for working in me and doing surgery on me and you're continuing that work. And I ask as, as as I teach your word this morning, Lord, that you would help me to communicate clearly. For God, I'm not that great of a speaker, but Lord, if you would come, and speak through me mighty things could happen. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I I believe that it is in all of us to want to be great. Would you agree? Anybody? You agree? that that I don't think that anybody wakes up or is born and, and wants to be average. I mean, maybe they're out there, but I don't know very many of them. We all want to be great, even the disciples, think of that in, in Matthew chapter 18 and, and Mark chapter 9, that they were arguing amongst themselves, who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God, right? You guys remember that. And, and Jesus, when he, when he came into that conversation, he didn't, he didn't rebuke them. He wasn't like, no, that's a bad desire. You should not want to be great. But he said, if you want to be great, here is how you become great. You must become a servant of all. And so the question that I want to look at here this morning is, how do we become great in the eyes of God? How do we become great in God's kingdom? You see, we live in a world that that often seeks and celebrates the wealthy, the beautiful, the talented, the powerful, the influential. And right here in Aspen, man, we are in the mecca of that, aren't we? I mean, I've had the privilege to be able to travel all, all over the world to many different nations. And I've never been to a place quite like Aspen. This place is amazing. The people here are amazing. It's an impressive place. In all of its beauty and wealth and power and influence, there's no place like it. And in and of itself, there's nothing wrong with any of that, right? I mean, God, he's the giver of talents. He's the one that, that gives business ideas and, and, and the ability to create wealth. He didn't give me much beauty, but he did give my wife a lot of beauty. And I, I respect that. I love that. But that is not how God measures greatness. He doesn't measure it in the same way that we do. In God's kingdom, guys, greatness is not defined in the same way that our world or our culture defines it. The steps to success in God's kingdom, they're completely reversed. We don't we don't hop on an elevator and hit the button to the penthouse and and go up. Here we are, we're exalted in God's kingdom. That's not how it works. Now, we take the stairs as disciples of Christ. We take the stairs and we go down into the basement where we find Jesus Christ, our chief cornerstone, representing there. And, and, and he's, he's a humble servant down low. And as his disciples, we must be willing to go low and occupy that space as humble servants. You see, this way of humility, it's not one that's typically celebrated in our day and age. How many professional athletes or or musicians or, or successful business people out in the world really truly walk in humility? But before we point our fingers out there, guys, we need to point one right back here at our own chests and in our own church. Because unfortunately... Humility is not something that we find much even in the body of Christ. But it is an expected characteristic. It's a non-negotiable. If you are a disciple of Christ, God expects us to walk in humility. I put on the slide here uh, a working definition of humility. I found this in, in Holman's Bible Dictionary. It says, it's the personal quality of being free from arrogance and pride and having an accurate estimate of one's worth. It is an attitude of lowliness and obedience grounded in the recognition of one's status before God. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, humility is to make a right estimate of oneself so we don't look down on ourselves. We're not like walking around like these little wormy things that like lower than dirt, right? That's false humility. We don't look down on ourselves, but we look look up and outward to others, to the interests of others. Think about it. Jesus, he never looked down on himself, right? He knew who he was, and because he knew who he was, he knew his identity. He could occupy that space. He could go low and occupy that space as a humble servant. He wasn't concerned about his reputation. He wasn't concerned about building a platform or having a bunch of followers. He was concerned about coming and serving and being a servant to all. The title of my message is, is The Kingdom of God Belongs to the Humble. And this is a call to Christ-like Humility. And you might be asking yourself, who, who is Trinity and who does he think he is to stand up here and teach on being humble? That's not a very humble thing to do, right? Um, but the fact is I'm not an expert on it. I don't know a whole lot about it. Um, and it reminds me of, of, of John Stott. He was, he was a Bible theologian, um, great Bible teacher, speaker, and author. And he often taught, and and wrote on marriage, but he himself was a single man. He he spent his entire life in ministry up until the point he died in in 2011 as a single man. And someone once asked him, well, how do you talk about marriage? How are you an (laughs) expert on marriage? You've never even been married. And John Stott brilliantly answered. He said, I'm not an expert, but the Bible is, and the Bible has a lot to say about it. And it's that same point that, that I'm standing before you this morning teaching on humility. I'm not an expert. There's others in this room who are much more qualified than I to, to speak on this. But I want to teach the Word of God, and, and so that's where we're going. Um, if if you've, you've been camped out in Luke 14 for a while now, right? So we're going to back up um, to verse 1. I read a portion of this passage in the intro, um, But I want to back up a few verses and give it a little bit of context. Starting in verse 1. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent then he took and healed the man and sent him away.
0: Excuse
1: me. And sent him away. Sorry, I had to change the slide there. Um, lost my spot. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on the Sabbath, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. And this is the, this is the passage we read earlier. He may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast... Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and then you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So in this passage, Luke is telling us of an occasion where Jesus, he went to dine at this this house of a Pharisee. This was a powerful, powerful man. And it was the Sabbath, it says, And it also says that Jesus was closely being watched by those in attendance. And so in addition to the Pharisees and the the lawyers or the experts in the law, there was also a man who had dropsy. And the way that I understand dropsy is that it was an abnormal collection of fluid that, that caused the body to swell. It was a bad condition. And the fact is that someone in this condition would have not normally been invited to such an occasion. This was like a VIP powerhouse, Aspenite-type party, right? These people were influential. And most, most commentators agree that, that um, this man was put, with Jopsy was put there uh, in order to test Jesus. And you can't, you can't test Jesus. He's, he's the master of all things, right? So Jesus asked the Pharisees, he says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And there was no answer, so Jesus went ahead and he healed the man. But before the Pharisees could say a word, Jesus asks another question. Which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on the Sabbath will not immediately pull him out? And the answer was obvious. That the Pharisees, of course, that they would have pulled a child or their child out of the well or their ox. That was, that was their way of making income. But they could not answer. Jesus backed them into a corner. They knew if they answered, yeah, we would pull him out they'd be guilty of breaking the law that, that they so stringently kept, right? And worked to keep and made others keep. But if they said, uh, no, we wouldn't pull them out, it's, it's the Sabbath, then they'd be, they'd be guilty of being uncompassionate. So they were backed into a corner. And when Jesus backed them into this corner, he, he was exposing the pride and the hypocrisy of their hearts. And as he exposed that, he, he, he went on to teach this masterclass class on humility. So we saw in in verse one that that, um, there were some people there attending just to watch Jesus. But now beginning in verse seven, the tables are turned and Jesus noticed how they chose the places of honor. So instead of watching him, now he is watching them. And Jesus watched how they were picking out for themselves the chief rooms, the, the places of significance. These invited guests, they were, they were jockeying for position. In almost every culture, we have, we have rules of etiquette for meals and seating positions and all of that. And the way I understand it, in Jewish culture, the most honored guest would, would recline to the left of the host, and, and the next honored guest would recline to the right. And beyond that, it was kind of a first-come, 1st first serve basis. So Jesus noticed the emphasis that these guests were placing on being in the right place and around the right people. Right? And he responded, he said, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. In other words, if you are invited to an important event, don't assume that you have the seat of honor. Because if you do, someone more important than you may may show up and you could be asked to move. And that's going to be pretty humiliating, right? And Jesus, he's he's referencing back to to Proverbs chapter 25, verse 6 and 7, where Solomon wrote, Do not put yourself forward in the king's presence or stand in the place of the great. For it is better to be told, come up here, than to be put lower in the presence of a noble so this is, this is some really good practical wisdom that, that Solomon penned. It's useful even for us today as, as a way to walk in humility and, and in certain so, social situations. But Jesus had a lot more in mind when, when he referenced that proverb, I believe. I think Jesus was using this proverb as a warning about the eternal consequences of pride. See, the, the Pharisees, they judged their own worth to that of their peers. They were constantly sizing each other up and comparing, not only to determine where one might sit at at an important event, but they used that that seating arrangement to, to judge one's worth in the eyes of God. And Jesus wanted them to know that this is dangerous thinking. He wanted them to know that pride always results in disgrace. Verse 10 but when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. So in, in verses 7 through 9, we saw Jesus teaching how, how pride and embarrassment can be avoided. Don't park in the spot that says for visitors and elders. But um, his point is this. In God's kingdom... Bowing low puts the humble on the track to the top. And Jesus isn't just teaching a Sunday school class here, right? He lived this very truth. Jesus subjected himself to the humiliation of the cross for the sake of sinners, for the sake of you and I. Philippians 2 says that he lowered himself to become our servant, and he is now highly exalted. So this message of pride and position that the Pharisees displayed that it was completely contrary to the message of humility that was being taught by Christ. Verse 11, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. This unchanging principle of truth, it's found all throughout scripture from front to back. But the fact is we do see self promoters. We do see prideful and arrogant people who seem to be winning from time to time, don't we? But mark my words, guys, that will not be the age or that will not be the case in the age to come. That will not be the case in eternity. There will be no prideful, no arrogant, no self-promoting people in the kingdom of heaven. The only way to enter in is by bowing our knees and bending our necks to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There is no other way. Amen? And the truth of this uh, the proud being brought low and the, and the humble being lifted up, it was ignored in, in Jesus' day. And it's still ignored in our day, isn't it? And even in the church. Even in the church. And I'm not just talking crossroads. I'm talking the big church. And I'm not here to cast stones, but if you're paying attention to the church worldwide, you don't have to be a prophet to to see that there is a serious shaking and exposing going on. There's an entire denomination that's being brought low and humbled after decades of sweeping serious sin under the rug. Maybe they're too worried about about the the reputation of their denomination or or their their leaders. I don't know the case, but all I know is it's all coming out. It's all coming out. And that's a principle of God. Leaders of a worldwide worship movement and megachurch. One that has impacted every single person in here, I guarantee it. Some of these leaders, they're being exposed. And humbled and brought low for their pride and their arrogance and their immorality after decades of fame and fortune and seeming favor with God. There is no place for rock star Christianity. As a side note, I do believe that this shaking and this exposing is the grace of God in action. Because it shows just how patient our God is. He'll wait for years, even decades at times, for us to come to repentance, for us to humble ourselves. Know this, that he is not slow in keeping his promises, but he is patient, wanting all to come to repentance. So moving on, after this scathing rebuke to, to the guests attending the meal, Jesus now turns and he focuses his attention on, on, the, on the man who invited him. On the host. Verse 12. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. We've already said that the host, he was one of the chief Pharisees, um, a ruler of the Pharisees. And because of his position, Jesus urged him, do not invite people into your life or into your table for political or social gain. And I want you to hear me clearly. Jesus was not telling the man that he couldn't feed his family or or friends or, or have fellowship with rich neighbors. That was not the point of what Jesus was saying at all. Because he continued, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. It simply means that inviting people to our event or into our lives so that one day they can return the favor, it's forbidden by God. Quid quo prose, like, he's not into that. He don't do that. He continues in verse 13, 14. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So Jesus is now turning to the host, and he, he tells him who should be invited to the feast. He says, call the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Church, this is not an attractive guest list, right? And this is not your A, A, A list. The poor is, is it's seriously referencing those who, desti- who are destitute, who are beggars, the homeless. The poor, they have nothing to bring to the feast. They have nothing to bring to the table. The crippled, the lame, and the blind. Jesus calls us to expand our tables. Listen, if everyone in our life, and I've been guilty of this, if everyone in our life looks just like us, that's a problem. That's a problem in God's eyes. Jesus told the host that if he invited this group of people, he would be highly blessed blessed and highly favored of God because this people cannot repay you. They can do nothing to build up your reputation. In fact, at times, they they may even tarnish your reputation. They won't be able to return the favor, but the favor will be returned at the resurrection of the just. This must have been an uncomfortable, awkward moment as Jesus spoke these powerful words to these powerful people. My wife and I, we, we had the opportunity, opportunity to, to go to Mozambique, Africa some years ago. And we visited a ministry there um, that are, are, are reaching these very people that, that we're talking about and she has a quote, and we saw it firsthand. We saw the work that they're doing, building schools and reaching out to the homeless and the poor and the orphans and the widows, people who have nothing to give in return. And Heidi says this, Jesus emptied himself, he humbled himself, and he so yielded himself to his father's love that he had no ambition of his own. He was not looking to build an empire He did not want praise or adulation to impress people with who or how many people followed him. He stopped over and over again for just one person, for just one life. So as we can see, Jesus is teaching on humility and what it means to be great. It's very different from what the Pharisees were accustomed to. His teaching is also very different from much of our lives, myself included, and much of our ministries today. Because again, we we so often look at success and wealth and fame and beauty and talent and power as indicators of greatness. But Jesus taught that if you want to become great, you must become a servant of all in Matthew 20, 26. He said that he did not come to be served, but to serve. Second Chronicles 7.14 says this, If my people who are called by my name will, anybody know the next word? Humble. Humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. I see from this, this passage that humility is, it is the pathway to revival. It is the runway to revival, not just in our own lives, but also in the world around us, right? When we live and we walk in humility before God and before man, it affects everything and everyone in our path, in our homes and families, in our friendships, workplaces, and even in our community. And listen, I believe that God has a special mark on Aspen. I really do. People come from all over the world to be at this amazing place. And I'm not the first person to say this, but I believe that, that God wants to do something in our valley that, is, that, that gets the recognition of the world, not just because of the beauty and the fame and the power, but because of the presence of God. I believe that he wants to pour out his spirit in our land, but it's going to come through Humility. He's looking for a humble people to pour out his spirit upon. So what are some practical ways, as as, as I kind of wrap this up, what are some practical ways that that we can walk this out? How do we practice humility in our lives? I want to first of all encourage you to seek the Lord because we're all in different places in our journey. But ask him what it looks like for you to walk in this humility. Humility. What does it mean for you to be a humble disciple of Christ? But I've, I've jotted down a, a few different ways that, that I see as, as, as ways that we can begin to practice humility. Number one, we must recognize our own sinfulness before God. Think of Isaiah in chapter 6. This was, this was a man of God. This was a mouthpiece for God. And when he came into the presence of a holy God, he said, woe is me for I'm a man of unclean lips. He recognized the sinfulness of his heart before a holy God. And he also recognized that it's only by his grace that we stand. It's only by the grace of Jesus Christ that we stand. So we must recognize that. Number two, um, Obedience and submission to God and his word. See, our lives are not our own. If we're a disciple of Christ, our lives are not our own. It's easy to follow and call him Lord when when things are going well, right? But what about when when things don't go quite the way that we thought they would? What about when, when a prayer doesn't get answered in the way that we think that it should? That's when the rubber hits the road. We have to stay the course, pick up our cross, realize our lives are not our own. And just as Jesus said, not my will, God, but your will be done. Number three, we must begin to think of ourselves less and consider more, consider others as more significant than ourselves. This is servanthood, and this is, this is an area of weakness in my life. I'm not that good at this. But I do, have, I do have people in my life who are amazing at it, and, and I want to be around those people because I can learn from them. He's going he's gonna to take me out for, for, for mentioning his name, but this brother over here, Martín Mendoza, I don't know if you know him. He, he, he embodies this like no one I've ever seen. It doesn't matter if he's here at church, if he's at work, if he's in the neighborhood. This brother is, is doing things behind the scene that nobody has a clue about. And that's the kind of heart that Jesus is after. That's the kind of heart that I want sculpted in me. We must become teachable and correctable. Listen, it doesn't take that long to get off course if we're not allowing others to speak into our life. We'll float way out there. But prideful people, they don't allow correction. They don't allow people to speak into their lives. I had an, I had a um, opportunity to to live this one out about a week ago. Um, my, my son, my 15 year old son, he says, "Dad, you owe mom an apology for the way you treated her last night." I was like, "Okay." I'm like, "Really?" I'm like, and why is that? And and he went on to tell me. He said, basically, I was being a jerk. I was being short. I was being snarky, and. He, he called me out on it. And so when, when my wife got home, I, I, I did. I, I apologized and, and I asked forgiveness because I knew I was going to be preaching this message this morning. Uh, uh. But seriously, I, I had a choice to make in that moment. Am I going to buck up to my 15 year old son and be like, Dude, You're a kid, you don't have any idea what was going on, make all kinds of excuses? Or do I say, You're right? You're right, and take a look at what's going on inside this chest, and get with the Lord. Above all else, and Derek and the team, if you want to come on up here, above all else, we must look to Jesus, our example, when it comes to all things, humility. And I'm going to close with this, Philippians chapter two, verses one through 11. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. And bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. May we become more like our master. Amen.